You're listening to Tech Nest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Back at it. We've got another exciting episode for you guys today. I'm I'm actually really excited about it. I like getting to talk about products that solve problems that I don't know anything about solving for, to be totally honest with you guys, to be very frank about things here. I always learn something and take away something. I'm excited with today's guest, Bonnie Murray. She is founder and CEO of a company called Record. Record is a data platform. It distills complex, disparate data to clear, powerful, essential metrics. This is used to equip decision makers, giving them the intelligence they need to analyze properties and investment opportunities. And I... I think that sounds great. So what is it really? Well, we dig into the details. First off, let's talk about what differentiates Record from anything else on the market right now. It's mobile first. This is total shocker. I mean, you're talking about in an industry where mostly everything's still run off spreadsheets and Bonnie's hitting it with, hey, we're going to go mobile first. And we talk about how is the data coming from these spreadsheets that is you know, on Excel so they're static documents, and they're getting into a mobile application so that people in the field can have the data that they need that's important to them when they need it. It's also eliminating a lot of the bogged down nature of handling lots of the administrative work of managing those documents, pulling things together, or sending different requests to multiple different people just to answer questions from investors. Interestingly enough, today we happen to record on International Women's Day, and this is something that Bonnie's very passionate about. The team is majority female, and we talk about that. We talk about, hey, what are some things that founders need to know in order to build a team that has some diverse representation to it, and Bonnie shares quite a bit into that. I think this is a really fun episode, and I think you'll enjoy it. And so without further ado, let's jump right in. Hey, Bonnie. Welcome to the show. Hey, Nate. Thanks for having me. It's great to catch up tonight. On, I'm excited to have you. On Women's International Day. Yes, it is. I'm privileged to have you on the show, and we're gonna we're gonna get into that. Um, I'm gonna save that for a little bit. That's we're gonna do what we call bury the lead. Okay, great. We're gonna we're gonna bury the the lead in there. That we're gonna get to that here in the show, and I want to make that a, a point to it. We did find out this is our first time meeting. Mm-hmm. We did find out in our brief pre-show discussion we have a few things in common. We do. We enjoy hiking. Mm-hmm. We live in tax-free states, well, or from tax-free states. Exactly. Well. I live in one. You are from one. That's how that works there. So we work in prop tech. Gotta love prop tech. This is good. We probably have a hundred different friends on LinkedIn and just don't know it yet. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing those connections after we're done with this. For sure. For sure. Well, um, I'm excited to share uh, and dig into more about what you're building and you've been working on. So as we do on the show here, please go ahead, introduce yourself. Let everyone know who you are and what you do. Hi, I'm Bonnie Murray. I'm the founder of Record, which is uh, a technology focused on the commercial real estate space. And I lead an incredibly uh, 
cognitively flexible team, intellectually curious, uh, driving real disruptive technology within uh, a largely conservative industry. Super excited. Come on now. Real estate, conservative? <laughs> conservative, <laughs> reticent to adopt technology. I mean, there's a lot of things that we could probably place in that. We could we could go down uh, many different uh, rabbit holes with that one. But I want to start off with first, can you fill me in a little bit of the background? Do you come from tech, real estate, or another angle that brings you to where you are with Record today? I mean, I always love the D all of the above, so I would have liked that option, but I'll give you a bit of background. I actually spent the first 15 years of my career in the public markets. I worked at a variety of hedge funds. I worked at a private investment bank, bringing our product from the US over to Europe. Um, and then I subsequently, you know, started to work in commercial real estate after having my second son and wanting, you know, a better work home balance. And, you know, what I took from the and what I was able to leverage from those 15 years in the public markets was really just the availability and transparency of data that existed through Bloomberg every day. Um, so fast forward, you know, I started commercial real estate and it's quickly apparent that this is a, an industry that lacks technological adoption and interoperability across systems. And, you mm -hmm. know, COVID happens. I'm home. Uh, my husband's working in his office off of his Bloomberg as if nothing had ever happened. I'm relegated to the corner working off of my iPad and it takes three Excel models, two PDFs and three calls into my analyst to get a handful of KPIs that I need for an investor conversation. And it was just this light bulb that went on where I was thinking, how is it that the world's largest asset class does not have Bloomberg? And that's really- They still that operate was, off of spreadsheets. It's incredible. It is incredible. Um, <laughs> and so that was really where the idea came from, is the pain points that I experienced over those five years in commercial real estate and specifically during COVID whilst working it from home are the pain points and the problems statements that we endeavor to solve here at Record. I love it. And so these are some stories that, that honestly get me the jazz the most because you're like, you're sitting there like, there's got to be a better way. It's almost like it's the commercials, right? Yeah. There's got to be a better way. And then what did you do from there? Do you just start Googling, looking for that better way and getting dissatisfied? Call a friend? Just like, what is that? Because I'm always curious what that next step is. That's like, okay, you know what? The world hasn't delivered. I'm the person who's going to do this. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, it, it definitely takes a lot of courage, I think, to make the leap from, you know, 20 years in the investment world to, you know, being a non-technical founder uh, within an industry, as I mentioned, that's historically very traditional and conservative by nature. Um, but ultimately, I think like what really drives success from the founder seat is really just falling in love with a problem, you know, and just recognizing over the mm. course of time that this was something that needed to be resolved and I truly believed that the market presented an opportunity um, where disruption is always a catalyst for change. And I don't think any of us really understood what was to um, evolve from COVID and how long it would take. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I saw it as a market opportunity. And I thought, you know what, if there's anything that's going to open the eyes of, um, of this industry, it's really the idea that no one was going back to an office five days a week you know, teams were forever going to be geographically dispersed. And thus, I wanted mm. to build a technology that broke down the barriers of in and out of the office. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I, I tend to be in the exact same camp that you are. One of the reasons why we packed up and left Chicago, like we were talking about 
pre-show and why I went to South Dakota. I was like, I was like, guys, we're not going back to the office. You can keep telling me that we got a date that it's going to happen, but it ain't going to happen. When they finally relented, like, okay, you can go remote. I was like, cool, because you know I'm going to be remote anyway. It's just I'll be stuck in my apartment and hating it. But so so let, let, let's uh, let's dig into brass tacks. Yeah, fill me in some of the the core functionalities that record can handle today and the problems it's really focused on solving for yeah so the technology right now so we're mobile first which is um really one of our key differentiators we are in the process of building our web infrastructure at the moment which will be an extension of the mobile but the mobile is really predicated on that thesis that you know i wanted to build a technology that broke down the barriers of in and out of the office you know frankly every service hmm. today is accessed through software and every interaction we have is handled through your phone you know in new york city you can order your food and you can order a car and you can order a hammer and nails um, on your phone, but you know people don't have access to their data that's driving billions of dollars in transactions every year. So you know that's really the problem we endeavor to solve for is mm. really improving the investment process, creating one source of truth for investment teams, and driving efficiency mm -hmm. uh, in workflows. Got it. Yeah, I mean, and, and you talk about ordering from your phone. Have you ordered the helicopter yet? Have you done that? No. The Uber uber helicopter you can take from like downtown in the city to the airport I, for i'm gonna like... need a few more customers for that <laughs> i think it's it's relatively affordable but yeah. i i've wanted to do it okay yeah. and so then uh and i noticed the mobile emphasis yeah first thing i like that was the first thing i noticed and i was like okay let me let me wrap my head around this because every time i hear there's a data interface or, you know, we take data and make it accessible, or this is a ser service that aggregates data and then gives you reports that's actionable insights. Okay. We've all seen that copy somewhere. Okay. <laughs> but then I saw the mobile first and I thought that this is, this is very different. Was this a strategic play of like, because no one's doing it? Uh, or was there, did you have some technical advantage as well that Hey, look, if we go this route, we, we're going to be able to build a better product. Yeah, I mean, there, there, are a couple, um, there are a couple reasons why we went mobile first. Obviously, first and foremost, I just firmly believe that, as I mentioned earlier, like every interaction mm. you have is mediated through a smartphone. So having access to your data, to me, is just, it's intuitive. Um, what I would also say is what I recognize after five years in the commercial real estate space is teams are always on the on site right they're already they're always on the property level it's not like the public markets where you sit in your seat in front of your bloomberg every single day and you don't necessarily need your phone i mean in real assets you're constantly traveling on the road to the properties that you own mm -hmm. um and so having access to that data whilst on the road um and creating one source of truth for teams some of which were sitting in an office and some of which were always on the road just um made natural sense to me you know i think that um you know as we started to build out the features and functionality of the mobile application, we did recognize that we were limited in surface area and that kind of drove um, the next step of our development, which is the web application, which is ex an extension of the mobile with um, some really cool mm -hmm. new features that are very differentiated from what we've seen um, so far from some of the other tech players in the space. Got it. Yeah. And then this, so the data that you're, uh, you're working with, this is the, this is the either private equity or the owner's data themselves. Like it's their property data. Exactly. And how are how are they taking it from their current systems, which I'm just going to guess is a whole bunch of Excel spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> they might have something else. How do they get it from there 
into their phone? Yeah, so that's a great question. And honestly, I think this is what sets us apart from all of our other competitors that exist um, in the marketplace today. And frankly, a lot of the other just technologies that exist. So we've automated the data ingestion process. We've created what we call the data sync mechanism. We're actually looking to patent this. Um, and essentially what that does is it grabs, we are permissioned into our customers' folders or multiple folders um, where this data sits. We, our technology grabs this data, pulls it into our S3 and processes it there and pushes it back into the mobile application. So automating the data ingestion process hmm. is certainly one of our key differentiators that, um, that we think our customers are really excited about. Because naturally, I believe that you know, technology is supposed to drive efficiency. And what that means is it needs to reduce the amount of time it takes to get through a workflow, not add an additional right. step, which naturally is what happens when there's some sort of manual, manual uploading of data. That, that makes a ton of sense. So like, I don't have to determine how to match the fields. I don't have to know, you know, is it, is it safe to say that even, um, not to say this like in a downward way, but like an admin, you know, your business admin, not necessarily a data scientist could handle and facilitate now setting this up and managing and working with the app so that the field team is spending all their time on doing what they're doing versus administrative work. Yeah, exactly. I mean, listen, you hit the nail on the head. McKinsey put out a study that showed that, you know, investment teams are spending upwards of 40% of their time just collating data and creating analytics mm -hmm. to help them draw insights and inferences from these complex data sets. You know, that's that's real dollars. If you have a, a team of four analysts, each making 250, which is what these guys are making in New York City, maybe more, you know, and you say you're spending 40% of your time simply manually pulling together data for, you know, I see memos and investor deliverables and fire drills that happen very often internally. Um, that's real money, you know? So, so, yeah. so automating that process essentially opens up time for higher impact activities like deals. What deal team doesn't want to be doing deals? I would imagine all of them want to be doing deals. Exactly. <laughs> So I, I'm curious on this because, and I, I don't know, I don't know what the the skills gaps may exist in both, you know, assembling data, pulling the reports you need, and even knowing what reports to pull. I mean, to some degree, there's discovery until you understand what are the real levers, what are the real buttons that can move our business one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's any, you know, there's a, an existing skills gap in data right now for real estate companies. And do you see Record coming along and essentially helping fill that gap so that real estate companies aren't having to go out and find, you know, I don't know if I overly skilled is the right way to put it, but overly skilled and, you know, top tier talent in data just so that they can get to the insights of the business. Well, listen, these organizations are filled with super bright analysts, right, that are really doing the work and crunching the data. And as we've seen, like there are large amounts of data sources that exist. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're not trying to replace these analyst jobs. What we're trying to do is we're trying to automate the manual parts of their jobs to save them critical time and to reduce the friction in the investment process for them. You know, what I would also say is at the moment, you know, these analysts are collating all this information, but raw data alone doesn't create value. It's the insights and the inferences that you can draw from these data sets that actually really do drive value. And so that's really where we're going is the analytics component, the insights and the inferences that are drawn 
um, from these large amounts of unstructured data that we're putting in a structured format. Can you can you provide a few examples of that? So you know, let's say uh, uh, you know I, I decide to go out. And I'm, I'm going to build a I'm going to build a warehouse empire out here in, in uh, South Dakota, specifically meat processing. That's kind of a big deal out here. There's a lot of cattle, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm sure that there's probably a market for that. Walk me through, like, what are some of the types of reports, and it can be something else outside of warehousing, but what are some of the reports or insights that I as a customer would receive because of the tech powering record? Yeah, I mean, you know, you have the ability to break down your portfolio by fund, by asset type. Um, You can see your geographical exposure, as you can see your exposure by property type. You know, you have the ability to see your NOI progression, both on an asset level and an aggregated portfolio level. Um, Perhaps you want to compare, you know, NOIs from one fund to the next. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. having the ability to um, benchmark your underwritten, you know, information versus your actuals. So these types of um, processes exist internally that every team is doing on a regular basis. And what we've done is we've automated that for them. Got it. You, you you did mention um, you know the working on the the desktop platform, um, and then uh, you know working through the record website. You know there was two areas that I noticed on coming soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got a little bit of a, a teaser of the product roadmap to come. Can you can you share some and shed some light on that product roadmap to come of new features as well as uh, some additional data being fed into the record platform. Yeah, so the web infrastructure is something we're super excited about. We spent a significant amount of time kind of developing that product roadmap. And one, one of the key differentiators that we think is this is not gonna be just another software where you have you know, a standardized dashboard that you're given. Um, because what we've learned obviously throughout our journey here at Record is you know, every strategy and every asset is bespoken in their own way. So to try to standardize a dashboard and tell an organization that they have to view their data uh, in one way, and it has to be the same way as the organization next to them, um, we would frankly not get any customer adoption. And so one of the cool features um, that we're building on the web infrastructure is we're allowing uh, the customers to essentially build their own dashboard. So we have a handful of KPIs that they can choose from, Um, We have tons of charting and analytics that they can choose from as well, and they can basically build their own dashboard. So what you'll notice is a lot of the features and functionality that exist both on the mobile and the web really do pay homage to, um, you know, some of the my days in Bloomberg. Um, We have within the mobile application an RSS feed that we set up, which essentially pulls in, you know, news from a variety of different news sources, because I remember the days of having Bloomberg where my news was scrolling at the bottom of the screen. And then, you know, fast forward to commercial real estate and you have to go to six or seven different websites in the morning to read your news, which I just thought was archaic. Um, so, you know, I think having the, the dynamic, the, the ability to build a dynamic dashboard will drive a lot of value because it really allows um, the user to view their portfolio and their data um, the way that they need to. Um, that's bespoke to their their strategy. Uh, another very cool feature that we're building out with this new database schema um, is having the, the ability to query the data, right? So having the ability to um, pull in your NOI across your entire portfolio or across all of your funds or from one asset to the next. Um, and so, you know, we continue to kind of develop that roadmap. 
There's a couple other features that I don't want to highlight. We want to keep them special for our customers, and we're kind of, we're testing them in the marketplace right now. Yeah, so that's really interesting to you. You just got to be a customer, and then you can find out what those uh, new de- <laughs> what those new features yeah, are. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, I want to I want to shift a little bit here. I want to talk a little bit about sales and marketing, and uh, you know, I day to day marketing is what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the the name record in of itself is very unique. Can you tell me a little more about the name? Where, where does that come from? Yeah, um, I would love to share that. Um, so record means connection in French, which is a language that um, I'm, I'm fairly proficient in. Uh, I minored it in college a long, long time ago. Um, and really, as I was kind of starting to think about um, what I wanted to name this endeavor, um, I really was looking for something that was tangential to data or connectivity because we were we were building a market disruptive technology that really provided automated direct access or direct connectivity into internal data. Um, And so that's really how I landed on record. Were there any names you left on the cutting room floor that just weren't going to cut the mustard that you can share? Any of the the ideas I'm very interested in, I'm especially interested. Did you have anything that started with like R E something and then something CRE no, or something nothing. like that. That would that never cross my mind. Never cross my mind. Um, I mean, listen, Fair we enough. serve the commercial real estate space, but we're a data technology company. Yeah. Which can go beyond just real estate applications. Um, we believe we- that we what we've built really truly has applicability across a lot of the private market. So the PE space, I think mm. the technology um, could work well with. And even within the commercial real estate space, you know, I think um, investors the, on the LP side uh, could really benefit from this technology as well. And frankly, you know, that is part of our why here at Record, which is I recognized, you know, as part of kind of the work that I was doing in anticipation of starting to Record, um, I had a lot of uh, really good relationships in the endowment and foundation space. And, and one thing that was so important that I recognized early on is you know, the capital base of these organizations, these commercial real estate organizations is oftentimes sourced from commer- from endowments, foundations, family, office, family offices, sovereign wealth funds. And what that means is the intelligent um, and the fiduciary responsibility behind the deployment of this capital um, has real world implications far beyond the physical infrastructure. Um, and so, you know, this is something mm-hmm. that's really important to us to improve the investment process and really to um, to help guide this industry um, towards more data-driven decision-making. Very cool. Uh, for, for and, and to help uh, kind of like zero in a little bit, you know, we've kind of talked a little bit loosely about, uh, you know, some of the companies that might see the most value out of Record, but can you shed light on, you know, are they 100-person organizations or is it like a do they have to have 10 million under management that makes them get value out of this? Like what's that profile look like was the ideal customer recording? Yeah. So, you know, we've been very strategic kind of in that growth and naturally as you're building a technology, you really want to make sure that you're customer obsessed. And so that means spending a lot of time with your customers, collating feedback and incorporating that feedback into development. And so what that means is naturally early on, 
you know, it's a lot easier to work with the smaller organizations that um, can give you a little bit more time. Mm -hmm. um, and you can really test out the technologies before you jump, you know, before you jump into the large enterprise customers. So at the moment, we're really focused on U.S. based um, organizations, small to mid cap. Um, we're agnostic to size um, with regards to the number of properties. But what what's really important is, is these organizations need to understand the critical role that technology plays um, in driving efficiency and workflows and, and the importance of data um, in really um, making data-driven, uh, improving data integrity, I guess you could say. Um, and then lastly, what I would say from an ICP standpoint is just, you know, they have to have some sort of institutional process in place. Um, there has to be a level of standardization mm -hmm. across their modeling in order for us to ingest the data. Got it. Okay. So there, there's some level of like sophistication that really needs to be there in this organization, but then that's a good match because then they're going to see the value in the tool. They're going to get the value out of it. Whereas if you perhaps go too far downstream, they're not going to receive value and then poor experience. And of course, you know, that's not the cycle. No one wants to create. Exactly. And, you know, I think just through the many customer um, conversations and interactions we've had so far, and we've had a lot um, what we found is that we don't align very well with the kind of larger legacy organizations that have like a lot of embedded bureaucracy where everyone feels like they're fighting for their jobs and technology might take that away. Um, and so we're really mm. focused on, you know, small to mid cap, maybe younger organizations that do truly understand the value of technology. Um, you know, maybe their investment team um is sits within a generation that believes in technological adoption. Um, and, and that's, mm -hmm. you know, something that I, that's um, something we've seen across the industry, I think, and will continue to see is just kind of this rollover at the senior leadership level. And the reality is, is the next generation down, they just, they're, they're going to demand technology. They're going to demand more efficiency in these processes. And so those are really the organizations mm -hmm. and their people that we're targeting. And when it comes to your go-to-market and how you're reaching these organizations, what's really been the key driver for you guys in gaining adoption and seeing growth? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I really leaned heavily on my network initially. Um, and obviously, uh, we have an incredible group of investors um, that have been staunch supporters of ours from the very beginning. And they, too, have um, been very supportive of us and helped drive kind of our pi pipeline development um, and then, you know, starting mm -hmm. to really get out there and gain a little bit more um, brand awareness and visibility through uh, these types of conversations has been super helpful as well. Um, I did, you know, I was a guest speaker uh, in a class in NYU last week or, or two weeks ago, rather, for um, an entrepreneurship and innovation class at the Shack School. And, um, you know, I'm talking to someone from there who runs a family business. Um, they own a bunch of multi-family assets down in the southeast. So, you know, I think it's just a matter of getting getting the word out and sharing your story and your journey with people. And, you know, we've had a mm -hmm. lot of great reception so far. So I feel incredibly grateful for this, the, the earlier adopters. I'm looking forward to listening to like all the subsequent podcasts that you're on. <laughs> I'm hoping that TechNest is like one of the earlier uh, opportunities here. And then that way, the future answer is like, well, we were on TechNest. Definitely. And then, then from there, we just kept on to the, <laughs> pushing it forward. Um, 
I know you've, you're still a relatively young company, Mm -hmm. a new idea and what you're working towards. Uh, But with that, you know, especially in the early days, like you're, you're trying to figure out what works and what sticks and what's really going to be helpful and not helpful. Is there any assumptions you had, even with the clarity you had in your idea? Did you go into this with any assumptions that have turned out to be wrong that you've had to kind of pivot away from that you can share? (laughs) Oh, I feel like that's a loaded question. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Do do I feel like there are... uh, I, I felt early on that this would be an intuitive technology that people would just be like, of course everyone should have Bloomberg in this, in the world's largest asset class. Or of course we should automate these workflows. Like why, why should I spend 40% of my time? Um, but I think like behavioral, behavioral economics is interesting. Um, and I think just the amount of time that it's taken to refine the product, um, I think was um, something that I didn't anticipate. You know, it's, Spending mm-hmm. a lot of time with customers early on was extremely helpful in driving our product roadmap. What I would say is, is as a non-technical founder, it was a very quick and crash course in engineering and developing a tech team and building a product, um, all the while building a company um, and you know trying to drive marketing and sales and trying to develop a young team um, who, some of which I've had to upskill. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's all been a really incredible journey. But what I would say is, is it, entrepreneurship is very similar to motherhood in that there is no roadmap. And um, mm. there's a lot of twists and turns. And, you know, every day presents a new challenge, um, but it is incredibly rewarding. So I'm grateful to be here. There's uh there's the famous quote uh you know everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth or something along those lines, yeah. um uh, it's a Mike Tyson quote so you know fair enough, but it that was the first thing that came to mind I was like well yeah life can kind of do that to you and also business can kind of do that to you and what seems like the obvious aha moment but going into a you know a legacy driven industry. There's reasons why these things haven't been done. There's, yeah. there's hidden barriers and hidden objections and political reasons to to overcome here. You know, is there anything that fuels you or really drives you to like consistently push past those barriers, especially since you're in such a the young stage where the you, you just described you, you're doing you know ten or twelve jobs, but you can't afford to do them at a low level. You have to do them at a very high level. Is there anything that uh, you kind of look back to or look to that keep you moving forward through those barriers? Well, I'm a distance runner. I've run um, seven. We got another thing in common. Yeah. Oh, I love that. There it is. Yeah, I've run. Let's go. Uh, eight races in seven countries. Um, you know, I brought my wow. older son with me to um, to six of them, and you know, I think that distance runners, and there's actually science behind this, are driven by outcomes. Um, We're motivated by um, efficiency. And I think it is just part of my nature to take every process within motherhood, within running, within work, and try to organize and drive efficiency in every aspect of my life. Um, You know, as a distance runner, oftentimes you physically and, and mentally push yourself to shave seconds off of your time. 
And I frankly apply that ethos to every aspect of my life, including work. So if there is something that can be done mm. faster and better, um, that is what motivates me. Okay, totally off topic, but now I have to know, like, favorite race, best race, like, what, what's one race that stands out? Barcelona. Barcelona um, was really special for me. My older son had been coming for the previous few years. I'd run uh, London and Paris prior to that. He was really young at the time. Um, but they had a kid's race the day before. And so knowing that they had a kid's race, I was able to fly my dad over and share this experience with us. And for the first time, my, my younger, my older son and I were able to go to the race, um, expo and pick up our numbers together. And, you know, in years past, he had always kind of watched me on the racetrack as I was running by. And that was like the moment he was like, Oh, she's running again. But to actually go to the expo and have him share that experience and grab his number with me and feel the excitement and the energy and, and the nervousness that you feel at the starting line and the finish line and, you know, sharing that experience in the, you know, in, in the, one of the most beautiful cities I've ever been to uh, with my son and my father uh, is something that will stay with me for the rest of my life. Super cool. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. Um, I want to shift a little bit here. And we, you alluded to it at the top of the show. I had already made note of it. So to some degree, I was, I was just excited to actually be on the same page here. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not on the same page. But, you know, reading about your company, saw that majority women staff. Mm -hmm. Today happens to be we're, we're recording on International Women's Day. I want to ask, like, why or, you know, first off, how important is is that to you on your to have a staff like that, to build a company like that, you know, and even walk me through a little bit, like, how did you, what was your approach to even assembling your team? Not necessarily like, how do I get more women? But like, what was your overall approach to assembling your team that, as you just alluded to, led to the outcome of it being majority women? Great question. I love you for asking that. Um, this is a part of who we are at Record. Um, as someone who spent 20 years in the investment world across various investment verticals, um, having worked with a majority of white males my entire career, um, you know, driving equitable distribution is um, part of the culture that we're building inside of Record. And the way that I view equitable distribution is um, from a three-legged stool approach. So it's me as the woman founder. It's, you know, having diversity uh, amongst my team. And then I intentionally carved out one third of my capital base for women and diverse founders um, as well, because naturally, if you have an exit scenario, or I should say when we have an exit scenario, um, you know, you want that capital to flow um, back into the pockets of a diverse group of individuals. Mm. And so, you know, as I was building my team, my first engineer, who's no longer with us, um, she was incredible. Um, she was from Mexico and came from a small town in Houston. Uh, and her and I shared a lot of our kind of upbringing and the journeys that we had to get where we were as women leaders. And, you know, that was something from the outset that was incredibly important to me as I built the organization is just in ensuring that, you know, there wasn't just gender diversity, but there was also um, ethnic diversity. So I have representation from India, um, we used to have someone from Bangladesh on our team, obviously Monica from Mexico, Saya, who's still on our team, is amazing, from Japan. Um, my director of engineering, although he's not a woman, is a U.S. Navy vet. Um, and so, you know, this is also something that we really um, try to be thoughtful about. 
And, you know, I think one thing that is, is spoken about a lot less is the idea um, of upskilling. So my director of operations was a nurse in her former life before she had three young children. And subsequent um, to COVID, she wanted to go back to work and recognize that being a nurse with three young children at her home wasn't an option. And so, you know, I gave her this role, um, which she had no experience in, uh, to try to get her back into the workforce after being gone for seven years. And she has, she exemplifies everything that you would look for in a leader and has has done a tremendous job Mm. for her team. And so these are, you know, these are things that need to be talked about more. And I'm excited to talk about it on International Women's Day with you. Yeah. What's something that, you know, because we, we there's plenty of other PropTech founders who listen to the show as well as investors. What's something that you would, you know, share with them uh, or want to share with them of like how they can go, like practical steps they can take in building out a team that has a little bit more diverse representation? You just have to be committed to doing it because there are so many amazing women out there that have the ability um, to do any job that they're given. And so I think what the world is really good at is boxing people in. Um, And so I think giving people opportunities Mm -hmm. and making sure that um, making sure that you're doing the work, you know, that that these individuals exist out there and. You know, women, I think, have a hard time sometimes standing up for themselves and asking for things um, or applying for a job that they don't necessarily think that uh, they have the skills for or asking for a promotion that they don't necessarily think that they deserve. Um, And this is something that, you know, men need to become more cognizant of um, and really empower women and empower everyone on your team to have a voice. That's really important to us. It's very cool. Um, so I, I was just thinking about something here for a minute because uh, I'm, I'm thinking about all the resumes that I've reviewed over the last few years. And I I can't say definitively, but anecdotally, I can say I tend to see what it looks like. Uh, women are, they have a senior role to what I have offered. And then I do see on the other end, I see the men who are applying have a very junior role to what I have offered. And I'm like, you know, there's, it's a misalignment for one thing, but it's like, I can't like, it's a non-fit in either way because like, like right. one, I'm like, you, you're, you're two steps the other. Yeah. It's like, you're, you're going to be held back, but it's not helpful. And the other one is like, appreciate the gusto, but honestly, you're going to have to build, fill in the box two and three first yeah. uh, before we can really get there. Um, so it's, it's an interesting thing and I can only say it anecdotally. I can also say though, in the last, let's say three years now of like the little bit more than dozen hires, I think I've actually only hired one guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that I'm thinking about that. Uh, and I don't think that's intentional. I, I think that's a little bit like marketing of, uh, the, the field in marketing, but either way, um, I would agree with you. I t- tend to think that there's a, a reason some teams are more diverse than others and there's a level of commitment to that, you know, for what it's worth. One of the things that I'm pretty passionate about that I think helps with that is I do not ask for care about college degree. Um, I, I like that to be off the table. Everyone thinks like, well, you went to college and you got the benefits of like, well, that's debatable. But if you, I don't think it's in, uh, you know, I, that's one of the areas I look at. I'm like, not everyone's going to have opportunity and there's lots of people who have the hustle and they have the ability to learn and the grit 
I'll take that all day. Yeah, listen. Uh, that you're going to build a, a phenomenal team. There's a lot to be said for attitude and aptitude, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll we're going to shift a little bit here before we get to my favorite segments of the show. Small question, um, but kind of wrap the bow up here a little bit on record. So many different things happening in prop tech. Real estate's been seeing waves of very highs, very lows. The funding environment, interest rates could not be any more mm. wild. There's questions of what's going to happen as there's this impending balloon uh, rush on loans where our, our investors going to be handing buildings back to banks. Are they going to be doing capital calls? All this happening. Why is now the time to be building record? Disruption is a catalyst for change, right? People people learn and, and think about, you know, post 08, 09, or I should say not even post, but in 08, 09, some of the most disruptive technologies of modern time were built, right? It was Spotify, it was Uber, Airbnb, Square. I mean, you name it, there's hundred. Mm. you know, there's a large amount of the most modern technologies that exist today that were born out of those disruptive times. Um, it forces people to rethink and refocus. Um, and, and my hope is, is we're going through another one of those moments. There it is. Well, Bonnie, we're going to shift here to the bottom of the show. Last two segments. Uh, first one here is what I like to call for the future. For the future is when I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Oh, boy. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do it. Question what number one, what does Record look like one year from now? We have a fully functional web application with double the amount of customers. Um, and every single one of them are finding value in the tools that we've created and the solutions we've created for them. Very cool. Number two, the importance of data has only increased for real estate companies over the last few years. How will this influence the roles that real estate companies are hiring for over the next few years? Yeah, well, I think what we're seeing now is this transition and this view of data as an asset. So having data literacy, I think, is going to be something that's necessary for anyone that sits on an investment team and anyone in a decision-making capacity. All right. Question number three on for the future. What's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Mm. Industry trend that I wish would go away. The lack of technological adoption. <laughs> hey, that, I mean, that, that's real. It's real. <laughs> We can't we can't just call Excel technology anymore. It might as well be. It's actually well. It's got a lot. Listen, of Bill Gates did a really good here, job but... getting everyone to marry Excel. Okay, <laughs> and and I wasn't going to fight that trend. I certainly was wasn't going to build something that took people away from that workflow. I basically said I'm just going to optimize it. That's true. Yeah. All right. Final one here on for the future. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? manual workflows solid yeah Auto all right automation okay. is the future there it is bonnie these are the last three questions this is so our listeners get to know you just a bit better yeah. first one what are you reading uh deep work 
by Carl. Um, oh, Newport. that's come up before. Yeah. 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 I, I, I've, I think I have it on my to read list. Mm-hmm. You can see others listening. Can't there's a read list right there. It is not in that pile because I am not making a dent in that pile right now. Yeah. Well, I, but, ironically, uh, I try to read that deep list. work book whilst my two kids are chasing each other around with hockey sticks and baseball bats. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully I retain at least 10% of it. There you go. I love it. Uh, number two, who are you learning from? Oh my gosh. You know what? I learn from everyone. Um, you know, there's a lot of wisdom that exists out there. I have an incredible supporter who's been with me from the beginning, an investor in record and a mentor of mine, um, for a very long time named Michael Glosserman. Um, his wisdom is invaluable. Um, I had a really amazing lunch today with a very dear friend of mine who's been in my life um, since we both started in the hedge fund space a long, long time ago, um, named Rini Greenfield. And she is a co-founder of um, a food tech company, a VC firm. Um, She inspires me every single day. Um, I'm an avid reader. I probably read, you know, a book a week right now. Um, So there's tons of books that I could recommend. I'm happy to add to that that pile in the back that I see over there. Um, and I had, you know, the absolute pleasure of having lunch today um, with Susie Welch. Um, and the perspectives that she offered um, were so insightful. And the work that she's doing to progress women in leadership roles um, is incredible and very inspiring. So I, I, I try to learn from everyone. Um, I think Nelson Mandela said it best. He said, um, you know, I never lose. I either win or I learn. Hmm. That's good. I didn't, I'd never heard that one. I like that. Mm -hmm. That's solid. Thank you. Last one here. What inspires you? Oh, my team, my team. I tell you, like as someone who spent 20 years in the investment world, um, to start working with engineers who are solution oriented by nature has been um, Mm -hmm. the most inspiring work I've ever done. Um, They're intellectually curious, cognitively flexible, um, and just really focused on solving problems. And that is definitely uh, not necessarily the experience I've had in the last two decades in the investment um, in investments. And so uh, my team is amazing. They really are. I'm grateful. Very cool. Bonnie, thank you so much for joining me. And, you know, we didn't intentionally schedule this to like, oh, we could have Bonnie on for International Women's Day, but I think it was, it was probably best. No, I, I'm uh, grateful. It was, it, that it worked out that way. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate you sharing your insights. Uh, before we close out, for those who want to get connected to you or learn more about Record, where do they go and how do they do that? Uh, record, record.com. Um, all of our contact information is on our website and uh, we would love for everyone to reach out and share more. Of course, all links uh, you can find on technos.io underneath the episode. Um, Bonnie, this is great. Appreciate it. I'm sure we'll see you around. Thanks so much, Nate. I really appreciate it. Have a great evening. Thanks for listening to TechNest, the PropTech podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io.
You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting, and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.